Your health is our priority. Each series, it's our goal to make sure that we provide you with experts and guests that offer multiple perspectives so that you feel supported, empowered, and less alone. Like the work we do? Buy us a cup of coffee. Or tea. You can leave us a tip over at coffee.com slash the hip podcast, which is ko-fi.com slash the HIP podcast, or with the link in our show notes. When you buy us a cup of coffee, you not only support the work we do, but also gain access to early releases and downloadable resources. Again, that's coffee.com slash the hip podcast. Hey there! We just wanted to take a moment to thank each and every one of you who have listened, shared, engaged, and sent us love. It means the world to know that we've had the chance to spread even just a little bit of knowledge, insight, and encouragement to you along your health journeys. If you'd like to support the work we're doing, we've created a Patreon page where you can earn some exciting rewards, because being a part of the HIP team isn't just a hobby, it's a lifestyle. Contributions start as low as $1 a month, with each level offering a number of super fun perks, like monthly bonus episodes, Q&As, a portrait drawn by our own in-house artists, and even personal chats with the Health It's Personal team. We created this podcast so that everyone can have the chance to access informative, inspirational, and insightful stories, and your support is a huge step in us reaching those who need it most. We wish we could give you all a big hug, but hopefully this will suffice, at least until we're allowed to hug again. If you love what you hear or are as passionate about health as we are, please visit patreon.com slash the hip podcast. That's patreon.com forward slash the HIP podcast. We couldn't do this without you. So thank you again. And thanks in advance for joining our ever growing hip family. Health is understanding what you need. Being informed. Finding that balance of mental and physical. Building yourself a support system. Figuring things out on my own and not letting it hold me back. You do kind of have to advocate for yourself. Because health, it's personal. Hello everyone and welcome to Health It's Personal. This week we're sharing with you our series recap from our wonderful discussions on nutrition. Because each episode we just talked about so many interesting ideas and our guests shared their personal stories. Now we want to kind of dive into those topics that we found as common threats throughout the episodes and make deeper connections. Yeah, because through reflection, you're oftentimes able to see things you weren't the first time through. Mm -hmm. For sure. But before we dive into all of that, we wanted to loosen things up a little bit with a super silly nutrition quiz. The quiz is, what smoothie are you? Choose a smoothie place, Orange Julius, Tropical Smoothie, Jamba Juice, or Surf City Squeeze. I'm going to do Tropical Smoothie Cafe. Tropical Smoothie's like more real, right? Uh, Jamba Juice. Okay. Choose a color, gray, red, purple, or orange. I choose orange. Gray. I'm going to also choose gray. Nice. <laughs> choose a hobby, baking, photography, dance, or video games. Dance. Photography. Either baking or dance, but I'm feeling zesty we'll go dance choose a fruit watermelon blackberries avocado or blueberries nice oh these are all great um blackberries though blackberries i'm gonna choose avocado choose a veggie carrots celery red peppers or onions carrots i choose onions celery you just hurt mckenna's heart why no no judgment i don't like celery oh that's right we talked about that (laughs) choose a breakfast item oatmeal cereal pancakes or scrambled eggs oatmeal i guess oatmeal 
I'm gonna go with eggs. Which is the best time for a smoothie? Breakfast, after working out, at night, or any time is a good time for a smoothie? Any time's a good time. Ooh, I'm gonna go for breakfast. Me too. All right, mom, you got black raspberry <laughs> smoothie. <laughs> You're independent. <laughs> this is so dumb. <laughs> no, this is good. Okay. Get on board. You got black raspberry smoothie. You're independent and strong. You don't let anyone mess with you, but you're also a little stubborn. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. (laughs) I'm mango orange smoothie. I'm hilarious and never like to take things too seriously. Oh, yeah. How about you, Sean? (laughs) Black raspberry. you got the same and sean and i are birthday twins so it makes sense that we'd be also the same smoothie and we chose like totally different things (laughs) (laughs) that's hilarious so funny all right now that we've got our blood moving here let's dive into some of these topics i guess i'll go first something that's been an unexpected thread throughout our series that has really touched me is food insecurity Nutrition is the root of success for our physical, mental, and emotional function, but how do we even begin to tap into those aspects of our health if we don't even have access to adequate nutrition? And of course, there's a lot of variants. We discussed this with Danielle when she so graciously shared with us her struggle. She's a personal trainer, has been involved in jujitsu her whole life, so she had all of these experiences to know what she needed to combat her anxiety and depression, yet when she faced significant financial strain, it ultimately came down to paying the bills over buying food. And I think that's what it comes down to for many, many people, so many more than maybe we even realize. And so it's easy to say, here are the tools, here's the knowledge, here's how nutritious food can help you. But so many people are still sitting there like, what if I could, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And nutritious food can be so expensive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. On that note, real quick, I wanted to say my grandpa grew up very poor in rural Alabama in a family of 10 kids and he said you know what we used to call health food poor people's food <laughs> and that was like it's like the opposite today yeah. you got it from the farm right you mm-hmm. grew it yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah well and when we were talking to andrew cotto too he was saying that his love of the italian cuisine and food culture there comes from the fact that everyone has access most everyone mm-hmm. has access to nutritious available inexpensive food because you get it from your grandma's garden you make the wine on top of the mountain that you can see from where you're sitting at dinner and you know it's all right there and I think that that's something that at least in the U.S. isn't a part of the culture absolutely Um, I'm just thinking of those kids when I worked at K through 8 school you know and this happens all over the country um, when kids don't have enough money to buy lunch at school and maybe they don't have much food to bring from home either and then you know that social aspect that shame that comes mm-hmm. with you get a cheese sandwich today and it's just I won't even go into it because the whole food situation at our public schools is so difficult to talk about but mm-hmm. it just that that social aspect that you know sitting with your friends and having lunch or we talked to Shawnee about how she was shamed for having you know Korean food <laughs> yeah it just, it's important. 
I have a friend who's a lunch lady and she she basically refuses to give kids a cheese sandwich. <laughs> she just, yeah. Sloppy Joes. We had an amazing, <laughs> amazing coworker and she was like, uh, no, these kids are eating. <laughs> yeah. She was such a rebel, I but that. I was like, it's like Robin Hood type of. <laughs> yeah, oh, I love Robin Hood. Me too. Well, um, a very staggering statistic that I have seen is that schools with 90% or more white students spend approximately $733 more per student on food than schools with 90% or more black students. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just so incredibly sad. It's important to keep in mind. Yeah, you know, and so then, of course, when we were talking with Gabby, we dove into this other aspect of food insecurity where race and socioeconomic status contribute to one's ability to access healthy food. We discussed with her the fact that predominantly white neighborhoods is where we see the Whole Foods, the co-ops, and little to no fast food. While in predominantly black and Latinx neighborhoods, we see fast food on every corner, and the main source of grocery shopping is gas stations and convenience stores. You know, she's a journalist, so she's had the opportunity to drive around these different communities in her state. And she shared a statistic with us that... In her home state of Wisconsin, the average white family has a net worth of $171,000 compared to just $17,150 for the average black family. So I don't want to spout too many numbers here, but I did think that this was really important. So the according to the USDA in 2018... 88.9% of households were food secure throughout the year, while 11.1% were food insecure at least some time of the year. And then that included the 4.3% mm. who had very low food security. That 4.3%, you know, sounds like a small amount, but that is 5.6 million households. That's staggering. Yeah. And during the 2008 recession, that number rose to almost 15%. That 11% went to almost 15%. That would be really interesting to know the impact of what's going on in our culture right now has on... Yeah, well, with the pandemic, as of June, 18 million Americans are unemployed. So I can only imagine how that 11% is rising. Yeah. So then to kind of tie back to that conversation on race... While 10% of white families experience hunger, households of color experience 21.5%. That's more than twice as many. And then, of course, food insecurity rates are highest for single mother households with incomes below the poverty line and single parent households of families of color even more so. So mm. there are many different types of people that are struggling in really significant ways. Yeah, And I just think that... We know this and when we talk about nutrition and we talk about making mm -hmm. a smoothie and putting <laughs> yeah. a bunch of fruit into it, we understand that that's not possible for everyone yeah. and we understand our privilege and our hearts are impacted by people's inability to have access to healthy food. I think when it comes to having those difficult conversations, I can't even imagine how to talk to your child about a situation that you're in uh, and how difficult that must be. But I do know that when it comes to those who aren't facing that impossible struggle, having conversations with your kids about other families and other communities and never to assume that you know what other kids at school are going through or why they have that cheese sandwich. Mm -hmm. You know, like Gabby told us, as a journalist, she's able to constantly drive around her state and witness the financial disparity within her community. 
and mm-hmm. those that lie just outside of her community. But not everyone goes out of their way to do that. And most people can't comprehend all of these numbers without seeing it firsthand. And as she shared with us, her dad, Mr. Day, who's a total rock star. Ooh, we love him. (laughs) Yeah, he's so great. I know. He used to drive her to communities outside of their own so that she could, Mm -hmm. from a very young age, see with her own eyes what other living situations look like, how lucky they were to have each other, and that you should never assume anything about other families. And then started a dialogue with her about how that made her feel. I think that's a huge part of why she's such a voice in this community now as an adult. Absolutely. I used to help out with Homeless Youth Connection in Arizona, and a lot of teens that had to leave their homes for whatever reason were homeless and struggling to have food. Mm -hmm. You're volunteering on the weekends with your children. If you're having conversations in the car about how they can make an impact at school by not making assumptions about what people are going through or not making comments that are hurtful, these are all really great positive impacts in in a good direction one of the the biggest things that i've kind of realized over the years and learning about you know when you go to get food from a food bank for example or you get donations of food some friends who grew up very poor had kind of opened my eyes by saying you know it's you kind of get the free food right and you get what you get and that's another thing we have to think about too in you know if you're getting that free food, it's kind of like, well, don't complain. You're getting free food, right? Or it's like a, a big deal that, and so you're, they're not necessarily giving you carefully curated choices for your specific dietary mm-hmm. needs or well-being. They're just like, it's calories, it's whatever. And another thing that really blew my mind was that like when you're donating food, for example, if you're going to do a good thing, it feels good, right? When you're donating cans or whatever you're doing for you know a drive or something like that, Think about things that people might not usually have as well, even if it's not super healthy. Maybe it's something that's like a treat because if you're relying on a food source like that and you're getting fruit cocktail Mm -hmm. seven days a week, (laughs) wouldn't it be nice to have something different for once, just one time, you know, every once in a while. So that really blew my mind when I was thinking of what I can do to help and like, what if I, you know, did something that they might not usually get as a donation or something. I thought it was really cool that at the community college where Sean and I used to work, we had a food pantry for students and they could go in and take things each week. I was going to say they also had uh, an organization come by like once a month, I think, and it was all produce, right? Wasn't it like, or whatever, sometimes it would be other products, but. Well, and we'll link in our show notes below some places where you can get access to some healthy food options in your community or also help out in your community as when it comes to food insecurity. The last thing I'll say, uh, I know I've been talking a lot, but um, (laughs) I was listening to Michelle Obama's podcast recently when it came out and she talks about how she was raised in a neighborhood where there was a very strong sense of community. She said um, to the point where, you know, if a kid was on somebody's lawn down the street, she would scold your kid for you. You know, like everyone felt like they were in it together. It takes a village. Yeah, it takes a village. And I think that that's something that we can kind of get away from because the U.S. is so into their independence. You know, we're, we're all one of a kind and we all value our independence and our ability to be ourselves. Mm -hmm. 
and that's such a wonderful gift. But I think sometimes we do lose our sense of community. And I think if we tapped into that, we would only be better for it. Yeah, especially when we're all moving around. and Yeah. So some food for thought. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's important to keep in mind because like when you're not, you know, like we've seen everything is so interconnected and it's like it's not just nutrition. It's the finances and the physical health and the mental health and the nutrition, social health. <laughs> and so it's and it's hard to deal with the others when you're not eating well. Yeah. It inspires us to help where we can open our eyes and be kind. All right, Sean, what you got? Drop some knowledge. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot. Yeah, some knowledge. <laughs> uh, so when we're thinking about, I guess, finances and and inequality and things like that, um, it also kind of ties into, we heard a lot about plant-based diets, and that's something that we covered a lot, but only a little bit in each episode. So, so many people brought this up, whether it was um, Andrew, who was like talking about, oh, I tried it for a week, or if it's, yeah, so Paige and Danielle who are vegetarian or vegan. Uh, so it's like we got the whole, you know, or it's, and like I said, Andrew, who tried it for a week, but is usually a meat eater. So, <laughs> so I was reading a couple of things recently and just kind of to refresh my memory or to, you know, re- reinvigorate myself with the plant-based. Um, I'll eat chicken and fish and very rarely I'll have like bacon or something like that. But I try to avoid uh, most meat uh, but I know that there are so many people who have misconceptions about it. They might think, well, if you eat only plant-based diet, you know, where are you getting your protein, for example? Like, you need meat. Um, but the truth is, you don't. If you do it right, if you set up your diet, if you plan accordingly, you can get all those nutrients from only plant-based sources. Sometimes that's a challenge, too, especially if you don't have access to the right types of foods in your area or whatever your situation is, uh, but it is possible. However, it's also possible to be that vegetarian who only eats like lettuce and that's also bad. <laughs> or Kit Kat bars. Yeah, or Kit Kat bars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, french fries. <laughs> uh, just like with everything else, you need to balance it. You need to get that variety in your diet. When we're also thinking about things beyond ourselves, um, for example, I don't like to eat it because I like the animals and I feel bad about it, but also I can't eat like red meats because I have a slight allergy to them. I can eat it, but it's not pleasant. <laughs> so it kind of sounds funny, but um, it's a thing, unfortunately. Um, so that just kind of helped make that decision for me. So it was really easy. And it's like, I feel terrible personally when I eat this stuff for so many reasons. So why would I do that? Yeah. But if you wanted to do it for other reasons, it's better for the environment. That doesn't mean we have to outlaw all cows and put them in prisons like certain people have been saying, like with the Green New Deal, for example, they want to arrest your cows or whatever the conversation (laughs) is. Uh, But if we eat a little bit less, even if it's just, okay, I eat meat seven days a week, how about you go down to six? And that's a huge impact on the environment for so many reasons. It kind of aligns us with looking at the climate change issues that we're seeing across the globe. It's a fact that red meat is a huge contributor. It's not the only contributor. Like we said, everything is involved. It's a whole world issue. There are so many factors, but it does help when we have less of that infrastructure focused on producing this red meat. And it also ties into uh, the fact that only about 25% of the world, which consists of mostly wealthy countries such as the U.S., eat lots of meat in their diet. 
So that means 75% of the world is primarily Mm. plant-based or other sources. That is such an interesting number. Yeah. So it's like, it seems like our whole world is meat, right? (laughs) For us, yeah. Yeah. Because we're in in the place where it's all about meat. Uh, But there are so many benefits, even if it's just you're cutting it down one day a week, you could have a huge impact. But there's also evidence just like with all the other stuff, like drink coffee, don't drink coffee, eat chocolate, don't eat chocolate, drink red wine, don't drink red wine. You know, there's always that research. We have to dig deeply into that research and see what we can take from that experience. But there is evidence that states that eating red meat and processed meat increases your health risks, uh, such as heart disease, cancer, diabetes, and other premature causes of death. And it's evidence that's consistent across a bunch of different studies But that doesn't mean we can't ever eat that, right? Just like moderation, it's okay if you love it, um, but some doctors are out there recommending maybe cutting it down, like I said, but maybe having two to three servings of it per week. But I really liked this because it ties into 75% of that world isn't all oriented around this meat because it used to be a luxury food. We couldn't access it. Like I said, my grandpa, he didn't have access to meat. They would eat a bunch of random vegetables that they would scrounge together or sometimes they would have like chicken bones <laughs> like for a week i don't know it's a really challenging situation when you don't have access to that meat and that's how it used to be for us right yeah a lot of the world still doesn't have access to a consistent source of meat like we do with our weird you know system of you know all these farms and mm-hmm. and things like that but um treating it like a luxury food again instead of like a staple like I have to have meat with every meal or even having it as a side dish rather than the main course. Those are some things that I've been reading up on that kind of looked interesting to me and it is manageable. I love that. And, uh, you know, I'm not trying to have a pedestal here, like, you know, ivory tower. Um, but hopefully that kind of makes sense. Like your, <laughs> um, enchilada with a side of steak, McKenna. Hey. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it was a chicken enchilada. <laughs> the side <of> steak. <laughs> Um, And it just kind of ties into that whole situation of how we can use that land instead of more and more livestock to produce smaller amounts of food. We can grow a lot more other types of food on that same amount of land and we can be smarter about it economically, environmentally, and nutritionally too. And, you know, we're not alone in that, you know, people, for example, in the UK are cutting down their meat, which is really exciting to see. And the US is... I guess I think a lot of people, I think we've seen a lot of trends lately that more and more people are getting on board with this, whereas other parts of the world are increasing their meat intake. So it's a really interesting dynamic to view, such as in China, there's a lot of increase in that because as things change economically in a country, I don't know, it's really, it's fascinating. And I have to do much more research into it. And I would encourage anyone else to do their own research because it's really kind of fun to learn about and just kind of just understand how the choices that you make can impact things on a much bigger scale yeah you were talking about how people worry about not being able to get enough protein or your vitamins that you need that we get from meats yeah but something that i think is really interesting is that a huge misconception is that a lot of the vitamins that we get from the meat is because they ate it. Yeah. Ate something that had the yeah, vitamin. Yeah, yeah. So if we just go directly to the source. Yeah. <laughs> we can skip that middleman. <laughs> you know, fish is known for having omega-3s and we need our omega-3s. But fish 
don't have omega-3s in them, they get it from the algae that they eat. So you can take an algae supplement, you can eat, there's, I mean, algae. You can eat you can algae. Eat <laughs> you could just eat the algae. Yeah, it's helpful. But like algae, there are many vegetables and different things that where you can find that source. Yeah, like I was looking at... Um, People think eating red meat helps you build muscle, right? Which is true, as vitamin B12 helps you make red blood cells. Uh, a three-ounce serving of red meat would have 45% of your daily value of protein and 35% of your daily value of B12. And also has zinc and iron and some other stuff, right? But you don't need, like you said, you don't need the meat to get those. You can also get it yeah. from poultry, fish, eggs, nuts, and lots of plants. Lots of plants have those things. You just have to do your research and find out what you actually like or what you can cook with yeah. or what's available. Uh, however, you know, that's another misconception. People are thinking if you have too much soy, that's going to lead to so many problems, right? Breast cancer, or it's going to turn uh, a man into a woman, or, you know, these are real arguments I've heard. Um, <laughs> you hear the insult soy boy online. Um, oh my gosh. It's really silly. I don't have the research in front of me now, but I did look up, okay, I was curious, how much soy does it take? <laughs> to turn you into a woman. Yeah, until you turn into a pumpkin. And I looked it up and it was, I think you would die before you could consume enough. To, like Most of the time, we're not going to sit there and do that to ourselves. So I don't think anyone's going to sit there and have 18 million calories of soy in one day so, for like three years straight. I do eat a lot of soy. Also, if you are a bit hesitant of soy... You know, I'm a big tofu advocate. However, more natural forms of it have less estrogen content. So tempeh and edamame, because tempeh is just the fermented soybeans. So it's, you know, straight from the soybean. It's not processed or anything like that. I didn't know that. Yeah, nice. <laughs> I learned something new. I just like, I knew I liked it. <laughs> also, you can have plant milks that are, I don't want to say laced with <laughs> calcium and b12 like what's it yeah like fortified um, fortified with (laughs) calcium sean uh tell us about pea milk real quick because sean's a big advocate (laughs) for pea milk (laughs) for me if you get the unsweetened i never do any sweetened or flavored milks because that's weird but the unsweetened pea milk is really no judgment yeah no judgment it's kind of like more like whole milk um, in terms of consistency, so it's really great if you like mixing it with things or having it that kind of thicker. Because I know people who have like soy milk or rice milk, it's like water, and they don't like that. That's why I like it. It's just, and it tastes good, and they have lots of good stuff added. It's another reason I like it, because some of the milks taste like the thing. Yeah. Like coconut milk. I like it, but I don't want everything to taste like coconut. You know, but if you like flavored milks, let your freak flag fly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's also fascinating. And I, I'm sure a lot of our listeners who have been hearing through our series, plant-based diets and who maybe are considering it, I mean, I'm sure they've done their own research too, but it's nice to kind of have a conversation about that. And hopefully other people are having the same questions about it that we had when we first started dabbling. So mom, what do you got for us? So a common theme throughout this series that's really like spoken to me is taking a painful past or practice and turning it into progress or purpose, using like what's happened in your life to guide and heal others. And that's been something I feel like I've done in my own life a bit. And so I really was aware of this theme throughout. For example, like many young people that struggle to learn might 
for example, become an educator so that they can help kids that struggle to learn. Or someone that was bullied in school might be an advocate for teens going through similar circumstances. And so I wasn't expecting to see that thread throughout the nutrition series. Um, But what we put into our bodies really does affect our mental, emotional, and physical health. And these are definitely things that when we struggle with those, we often want to help people so that they can avoid that struggle as well. For sure. That's really cool. That's a really good point. So like pain can help you focus on what's truly important in your Mm -hmm. life. And So right now we're going through this whole pandemic and I think it's really helped us to kind of focus on what's really important in our lives and um, focus on what's necessary to focus on and look inward and look at the people around us and it can create connections. So for example, in Penny and Noah's episode, they Mm -hmm. talked a bit about how Penny went through some hardships in her past and Sean, you can speak to this a bit Mm -hmm. and that the things that she learned from that, she was able to change in her own life and then benefit you and Noah from that. Yeah. Uh, So I think when you kind of, whether it's family saying negative comments towards you about your physical health or appearance or nutrition, or kind of going through and learning the hard way by just going through life and figuring out what foods work best for you, And then she worked with a nutritionist to kind of find out what was the best thing for her and her life later on. And, you know, it's better late than never, right? Some of us never get to that point. So don't feel bad. Then what you can do after that point is help others by telling them, you know, this is what sugar does to your body or this is what, you know, might be good for you. Yeah, absolutely. The three of us have all done that in our own lives, right? As we've learned through our health journeys, sharing it with the people that we love, the people that we live with, supporting one another. And Mm -hmm. so that really does create an amazing connection. We're here for you, dear listener. (laughs) Another thing that can lead to kind of some great progress is that oftentimes pain that you experience can inspire your work. Yep. And I know that in my own life, when I was in high school, I didn't always feel like I was understood or able to learn in the same way like other students were able to learn. And so I really grabbed onto those educators that were kind and compassionate and empathetic and understanding. And that led me to want to teach high school and be that same kind of educator, which led me to where I am now. But that was really kind of my motivation for wanting to do that. That's really cool. I love origin stories like that. (laughs) Origin stories. So um, Gabby uses her experience with her mom and her brother's mental health journey to inspire her work as a storyteller and a journalist. Hmm. Austin Fantastic used his experience with health issues to transform his own life, and that led him to help other people and to guide them throughout their health journey. So cool. And eating psychology coach Rita Glenn talked about how when she was a young star, when she was a young actor on Broadway, um, she didn't always treat her body or understand how to fuel her body in order to be her best. And now she supports young people and families um, so that when they're on their journey, they can support one another as well. And Nick Sharon and Joe Wise studied chiropractic and functional medicine because they wanted to help other young athletes take care of their bodies in a way that was more useful and served them better. Kind of being who they wish they had, 
when they were those young athletes or when any of these people were the younger versions of themselves. Yeah. I love that. Kind of be the ally you wish that you had had. And then the pain that we go through often gives us credibility and empathy to be leaders or support people. And it also helps us share our hopes and dreams with others. So for example, Shawnee was bullied for having her Korean lunches. And as she grew and gained strength as a young adult, she was able to share her cultural food with other people in her college dorm. Yeah, Introducing those foods to them and giving them a more global perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. And as we were going through the nutrition series, I learned so much practical wisdom about how to eat and fuel my body and fuel my mind. But I also realized that a lot of these educators came from a place that maybe wasn't as strong and it led them to really wanting to help others. And because the three of us are that way as well, it just was like such a unique common thread throughout the series. And I found it interesting. That's so great. What's so special about this podcast is that those who have gone through their own struggle or journey are so generous and open to sharing their story with others. We are so thrilled to take this idea further with the wonderful people we've met on our podcast journey and can't wait to share the first episode of our parenting series next week with clinical psychologist, Dr. Becky Kennedy. Staying with the health it's personal theme, we'll be kicking off the series with Dr. Becky's advice on starting tough conversations. We're so looking forward to sharing that with you. So thank you so much for listening and we'll see you then. Take care, everyone. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Health It's Personal. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts for bonus episodes and new releases every Wednesday. The Health It's Personal podcast is produced by me, McKenna Udi and hosted with the Phronesis Health Initiative team, Karen Jively and Sean Tingle. Special thanks to portrait artist Alexander, musical contributor Bernie Ramke, and to our guests and experts for their kindness and bravery in sharing their stories each week. Please listen, subscribe, engage, and send us topics we can explore that would help you on your journey. Because health, it's personal.